Welcome, friends, investors, and everybody else to another episode of the Renegade Joint Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon skeptic, and Kelly Williams agent. And I'm all full of piss and vinegar today, so hold on to your pants, guys. What is Renegade Joint Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals, folks. St. Your Grandma's Rhea. No sales from the front, no smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. Save that shit for the other meetings. RDI is also this podcast and many more where once a week or multiple times a week, we sit down and interview and have different formats and basically try and entertain you and hopefully educate, maybe even motivate and inspire you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, folks, a lot of you guys are sharing. Not enough are you of you are rating and reviewing on iTunes. I know it's a pain in the ass, so let's walk through this together, okay? Pull out your iPhone. Go to the little purple thingy that says podcast. It's like an eye with a couple circles around it. Yeah, they don't make this easy, right? Then uh, the search function. Don't fall for the trap, but it's right there. I can see your podcast, Jeremy, right there. Why can't I get to the review? You got to do the search. Type in Renegade Detroit. Renegade Detroit Investors. Boom, podcast. And then you'll see some episodes and you'll see podcasts. You have to click on the podcast. And then you'll see details, reviews, and related. Hit reviews. We currently have 48 and we need a lot more. Hook a brother up. And you can write a review right here where it says write a review. So I, I want you to rate and write a review. Hook a brother up. I really appreciate if you do that. It really helps out. Also shared across social media. That also helps out. And you guys are doing a great job of that. I really appreciate it. Um, for all the people sharing who don't share it from the Facebook fan page, and if I don't see it, uh, I really do appreciate it, even if I don't see it. So thank you to everybody doing it. All right. Um, help grow the podcast, man. If you want to keep this content going, the only way this makes sense is we need to get a lot more people listening to it. So we need you to share. And in the iTunes world, unfortunately... This is the way they engineered it, and they're not exactly negotiable. You got to rate and review on iTunes. So hook a brother up with that. Thank you. Don't make me beg. All right. You have any comments, questions, or suggestions? Go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And of course, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. All right, legal disclaimer, no way, shape or form should anything that I and or my guests or anybody else on this podcast says, right, or does should be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right, folks, time for the Renegade Troy Investors show quote of the week where I pick a quote. That sets a tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I like this one. We're diving into the shift part two. So this is a quote right out of there. If your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. Jonathan Winters. If your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. So basically just stop waiting. What are you waiting for? All right, folks. So for those following along, we are now going to get into part two of the shift. I do want to give you a quick podcast update really fast. I'm starting to book guests again. So my break's up. I took like a month break. That was cool. About six weeks. Um, it takes a lot of work to obviously prepare for people coming, 
schedule them, all that. Uh, had a bunch of stuff still going on in my life, but you know, I, I got enough off my plate. I could take a breather. Plus, I kind of miss it too. And I know you guys miss it. So we're gonna have we're gonna have some people back. Uh, still gonna be a couple weeks. I'm starting to book it up now. And uh, I'm going to keep doing this, though. So this segment is going on as well. So the, this shift is not going away. We're just going to have a book review every week and a guest every week. It's going to be awesome. And we're back at it. And we're getting after it. Because in 2017, I expect us all to fucking dominate. All right? And if you're not, go back and redo your plan so you do. And for those following along, go ahead and pull out your book, The Shift, by Mr. Gary Keller. And... Turn to page 49, and we're going to get started. Are you guys ready? Bust out your highlighter, man. If we're doing this, man. You might as well read along. Bust out your book. Uh, if you don't have it, I put the link in the show notes. You go buy it from uh, Amazon, go to a local bookstore, whatever. Let's do the read-along together. It says, another reason why I'm doing this, by the way, folks, if you read along while you listen, you improve your retention. Then if you teach it, even more. So, that's what I'm doing. So bust out your book, bust out your highlighter, go to page 49, and let's get started. Tactic number four, find the motivated lead generation. Fewer leads, fewer showings, and increased days on market. The minute these signs show up, take notice. Don't ignore them and don't wait to act. These are the early warning signals of what is most likely coming next. More inventory and fewer pendings. This is the sequence of a shift. Demand slows down and supply builds up. It starts with fewer leads and ends with even less closings. Buyers and sellers get thrown for a loop and they in turn throw the market for one. What felt like an unlimited supply of buyers and sellers suddenly feels very limited. Abundance quickly shifts to scarcity. But just because the market has moved from more to less doesn't necessarily mean you have to. As leads become fewer, you must recognize the situation and make a more concerted effort to generate them. You can't sit back. You must be more rigorous and resolute in your lead generation than ever before and more so than anyone else. Man, I love that. I'm going to highlight that. You got competition, right? You're not doing this shit in a vacuum. While you're all taking your time and doing everything else, some other guy like me, nom nom, eating your lunch. I love that. I like aggression. I like going out to it. That's why I picked the quote I quit too. All right, back to the book. In fact, now is the time to shift your lead generation activities into the highest gear possible. The cause and challenge of a shift is simply one word, motivation. When a market has shifted, what has really happened is that the buyer and the seller motivation has changed. Regardless of the economic causes or driving forces behind the shift, your market only shifts because the motive and rationale behind buying and selling has shifted. In other words, whenever and wherever economic shifts, so does motivation. And this becomes the number one challenge of a shift, finding the motivated. Where, the, where there was once a large quantity of quality leads, there isn't, and the once clear pool feels more like a muddy pool. The number of sellable leads has decreased dramatically, and the reason is motivation. It's almost as if all the buying and selling of the past seller's market is borrowed against the, buying and, the buyers and sellers of this market, and now it's time to pay up where the buyers and sellers have had both personal reasons and positive market expectations as dual motivators. They now have their personal reasons. Motives have narrowed significantly and fewer people pass the clear cut motivation test of being able, ready and willing. Fewer buyers can afford to have the desire to 
or are prepared to buy now at market prices. Fewer sellers can afford to, have the desire to, or are prepared to sell now at market prices. A market shift simply causes a smaller number of buyers and sellers to have the ability, readiness, and willingness to be involved in a real estate transaction at this moment. And this creates a difficulty you face. You can motivate someone to help them better understand why they should consider buying or selling in the market, but you can't motivate them. Their motives are their own. Their rationales and reasons are theirs and theirs alone. And since you can't actually motivate people, your only choice would be to find more of them. So this is why you must now ramp up your lead generation because there are a lot, there are less of a motivated, there are less of the motivated to find. Frankly, this is when the true competitive nature of our business reveals itself and you realize it's time to stop trying to get your fair share of the market and do all your all you can to get your unfair share. That's something Joe says all the time. This is where he got it from, right? I don't know what's fair or not. I just know what I'm out to get. Period. End of report. I don't know if you feel the same. Back to the book. The agents who are going to survive and thrive in any tough business market will be those who face reality and say, if it's to be, it's up to me and I need leads coming straight to me. The challenge is that when the market first shifts, you are rarely sure what will what it will take to find enough motivated prospects to achieve your sales and income numbers. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You have to be motivated to find the motivated. Move past your miss. Let's face facts. Lead generation or lead generating to find potential customers just might not be your favorite business subject. If you're like most, it probably isn't why you got into real estate and isn't something that gets you excited to go to work every day. The truth, however, is that you actually got into two businesses. You got into the helping people business with their real estate needs and with their the real estate needs business, and you got into the lead generation business. They are inseparable. They are the yin and yang of your professional world. The bottom line is that without motivated leads, there are no people to help. To have sales, you must have leads. I love that. You must be talking to people, right? I don't know anybody, very few people are come knock on your door and demand you to buy a, a house or sell their house, right? One begets the other. Interestingly, the market shifting may have now exposed a real personal dilemma you must overcome. You love helping people, but at the same time, you haven't learned to love hunting for them. Please realize that I'm actually describing myself. I must admit that I honestly didn't enjoy or fully embrace the lead generating part of our business at first. It wasn't until I realized that lead generating was something I had to do and master in order to get the things I really enjoyed doing that I actually buckled down and got serious about it. And then something magical happened. The more I did, the better I got. And the better I got, the more I liked it. Turns out that I held a handful of myths in my head that were holding me back. Once they were dispelled, I was over the hump and off and running. That happens a lot, doesn't it? You go to get on the phone. What are they going to say? What do I say? What's going to happen? What if they don't like me? Back to the book. From a distance, I thought lead generation was really difficult, but after I diligently applied myself to it for a reasonable length of time, I came to see that it was actually quite easy and could even be fun. I was confusing effort with enjoyment. I also thought I was going to be too busy and wouldn't have the time to lead generate. However, as I focused on doing it every day, I discovered it wasn't an issue of having time but an issue of making time and then protecting it. We know about that, right? From the one thing. As I learned to manage my time better, I discovered I had all the time I needed. 
Then intimidation set in. I believed I couldn't lead generate because I didn't know what to do or say and was afraid of making mistakes. However, as I consistently got after it, I found that lead generation is nothing more than a set of tasks and skills that are well documented. I caught on that with practice and homework, these actions are easily understood and learned. I saw that on top of being a a transaction knowledge and service business, our industry is a script and dialogue skill-based business. I had to commit to getting onto the path of mastering these. I discovered that time on the task over time was the simple secret that helped me become very good. And that's why when I'm doing my wholesale calls, and for anybody who's interested in that, if you go to the Facebook uh, fan page, Thursdays and Fridays from 4.30 to 7.30, I record live wholesale calls where I make wholesale calls. I train people making wholesale calls. Um, some people do cold calls for other businesses, and we just go through, and I have a script, and we have a procedure, and we memorize the script, and then we practice overcoming um, objections, and I give them homework to memorize the script and practice 10, 15 minutes a day, all the shit you should be doing, right? Back to the book. Interestingly, what might have held me up the most was that I had naively bought into the popular quoted myth that it takes money to make money. As a result, I naturally assumed I couldn't successfully lead generate because I thought it would just cost too much from what little I had. However, once I experienced how buyers and sellers find and choose a real estate agent, I then grasped two foundational truths. First, that lead generation doesn't have to cost money at all if I don't want it to. And second, that if and when I do spend money, it doesn't have to be as risky as I had imagined. And finally, I just plain fought it. We've all been there, right? I didn't pass the sales behavior profile test I'd been given in college, so I truly didn't feel at all like a natural lead generator, if there even is such a thing. But as I looked around the industry, it dawned on me that very few people have the perfect sales profile and that no one is truly a natural lead generator. The gift of gab should never be mistaken for natural sales skill. Sales skill. It became obvious to me that everyone has to master the specific and meaningful scripts, dialogues, and skills of lead generation to be successful. Once I got these myths and erroneous thoughts out of my head, I was able to put my head down and get after it. In time, the results I had hoped for started to show up. When I was able to connect the dots between effort and results, I had a huge aha. I now saw that what I did on the front end with lead generation got me sales results on the back end. This connection opened my eyes to how effort and success were linked. I became motivated to put in the necessary effort and also began to enjoy it. I knew that when I generated leads, the desired results would follow. I had to make peace with lead generation, and so will you if you want to push through a market shift. When all is said and done, one of two things is going to happen. You'll either get over your miss and get on with it, or you'll eventually succumb to your miss and have to get out of it. Ooh, put up or shut up, right? Also, when you guys are going through highlighting, make sure if something doesn't speak to you, don't highlight it just because I highlight it. Make sure you highlight the shit that speaks to you. If your past sales success came either in part or in total from riding the wave of an increasing market, the odds are the easy business you enjoyed will have virtually disappeared. To get back on track, there are three straightforward action steps you must take to get your sales business moving in a positive direction. Number one, stop doing what doesn't work. Number two, figure out what does work. Number three, ramp it up. It's so simple when you write it down, isn't it? 
Step one, stop doing what doesn't work. Seems obvious. When you have fewer leads than you need, you really need to have, you really do have a problem you can't ignore. Anne Rand summed up this challenge extremely well when she wrote, we can evade reality, but we cannot evade the consequences of evading reality. The consequences of evading the reality of your lead generation situation could be dire. The way to avoid this is to acknowledge your situation and do something about it. The first step is to stop doing what doesn't work. You start by really realizing that time and money are really the two basic tools you have to generate leads. So you must absolutely stop spending any time or money on lead generation activities that aren't working. Seems obvious and sounds simple, right? But the trick isn't in getting it, it's in doing it. Your goals haven't changed. You know what your annual income goal is and you know the number of sales you must close to hit it. What has changed is the number of appointments you're going to go on and the number of leads it takes to get these appointments. The question you're going to answer is, what am I doing or spending money on that is no longer effective since the market shifted? You can only know this by associating your value, valid leads and your lead sources with your closed sales. So I'm going to divert here for the book. This is why I encourage everyone to get a CRM. You must track your leads. You need to know where every lead came from. One of the biggest mistakes I made early on in my career, when I literally had no idea instead of just half an idea about what I was doing, I took out a bunch of ads in newspapers, magazines, all kinds of things. And I kind of tracked it and I kind of didn't, but I, I had no way. I would just ask them where they, where they heard about me. And if they didn't know, they didn't know. And I had no idea what was working, what wasn't. It was letters. Was it postcards? Was it newspaper stuff? All that. Anyway, the long and story, uh, short of the story is I uh, did my first deal. I thought I made $3,000 and it got timed at the end of the year and I added up all my marketing expenses. And because I hadn't tracked anything and I didn't know what worked and didn't, I spent five grand to make three grand, which as you can imagine is the wrong direction. So get a CRM and put it in use. Back to the book. If you haven't already been tracking this, get out paper and pen and do the following exercise. Write down your top 10 sources of leads. Do this right now. If you have leads, do this right now if you don't know. This could be individuals who send you referrals or it could be any method you choose, you currently use. What you're trying to answer is, where do my leads come from? Next, right behind each one on the number of valid leads or closings that lead has brought you. Then prioritize them by numbering them from 1 to 10, with 1 being the most demonstrably effective and 10 being the least. Take the bottom five and start allocating time or money to them and aim all your resources to the top five. Sorry, take the bottom line, stop allocating uh, time and money to them and aim all your resources at the top five that are working. Note, the total number isn't as important as the idea. So basically, if you don't have five, don't worry about it. Uh, do this every month because effectiveness is an ongoing and never-ending process of evaluation and adjustment to find the sweet spot, the lead source zone that's working for you. And there's a picture he has here right here. It says identifying your lead source. And there's a list, door knocking, calls to sphere, uh, agent referrals, 12 direct newsletter for sale by owner, open house, expired listing, sign calls, website, registrations, client parties. Your could, yours could say anything. The second list, he prioritizes them. So he has expired listings at the top and agent referrals at the bottom. And then number three, he categorizes the top five. He circles them, crosses off the bottom five. So 
That's just a little explanation of the figure. If you're following along in the book, it makes sense. The one exception to this process is if any of the lower group on your list, while not always being immediately effective, still creates long-term lead generation opportunities. If you're doing one that meets this description, then you shouldn't necessarily give it up. But do try to get it to pull double duty. Your regular newsletter or e-letter might be a good example of this. The content should be geared for delivering short-term results as well as developing long-term relationships. In other words, pursue short-term and long-term goals at the same time. To have your best year plus a great career requires both. Lead generation, I'm going to go back and highlight that, sorry. Which, by the way, what do you think this podcast is? I mean, it's definitely scratching an itch. Or itching, scratching an itch I have. Um, but yeah, I mean, trying to add value, get as much of you savages out there listening as possible, right? Just another list. Um, lead generation effectiveness is one of the true building blocks of all successful real estate careers. And while its goal is always immediate business, that is usually best accomplished through a dual focus on present and future business. So when it comes to evaluating results, don't guess and don't get involved in overly optimistic thinking. If your leads have started to dry up, then not everything you're doing is working. You need to spot what isn't and stop doing it. In other words, stop wasting precious time or spending scarce money. How much of it? All of it. Having said that, you may find it is impossible to hit your future goals without expanding your lead generation activities. So at some point, you may either want or need to invest some money towards additional lead generating. When you do, start by investing in what you know works and only initiate initiate carefully planned efforts. As we said in the Millionaire Real Estate Agent, play red light, green light. Red light means spending no money until what you're doing improve, uh, what you're doing proves its success. Only then would you green light additional dollar investments. Your new philosophy is to hold any and all dollars spent on lead generation accountable for generating motivated buyers and sellers that lead to closings. So you got to track, get your create some way. Like on your postcards, they call a different number or they go into Zoho and you have a campaign or they go to the website. They got these little cookies and trackers and all these things. You just have to know where this is coming from. So you know where to apply your treasure, especially in a shit market, man. We're in a good market right now. In a shit market, when every lead counts, man, you better keep your powder dry. You need your treasure to go a long way. Back to the book. When a market shifts, it requires you to take a step back and immediately stop doing what isn't working. By the way, you're not alone. What is happening to you is happening to everyone else in your market. The advice that works for you is the same advice that will work for them. The one who succeeds will be those who understand this is the quickest, who understand this the quickest and do something about it. This needs to be you. Sorry, I have a little bit of a hard time reading today. I don't know why. Step two, figure out what works. Maybe I just need to get a little bit more comfortable. It is like a billion degrees here at Keller Williams today. Step two, figure out what works. Identifying what currently works and doesn't work is one thing. Knowing how to build an effective lead generation program is something else. While the exercise you just did roughly identified what is or is not currently working, most likely you'll need to add more factors that will work. To do this, you need to understand why and how lead generation really works. This will enable you to move from having success to creating success, which becomes critical in a shift. 
having sales happen is one thing, but now we need to make sales happen and ask something else entirely. Most agents don't give adequate thought to building a successful lead generation program that works in any market. A shift makes it absolutely necessary. Anyone who doesn't move to mastering lead generation usually gets shifted right out of real estate. The proven formula you could use for truly understanding what will work in your market is the two M's of lead generation, message and method. And there is a diagram here. It's a little complicated to explain. So hopefully the reading makes sense. Your message matters. The first principle of lead generation messaging is that your message must match your market. This means that your lead generation message must match the motivation of the buyers and sellers in whatever market you're in. Always follow this standard. It's how you cause motivation to show up and reveal itself. When we say your message must match your market, what we're talking about two markets, the the target market of buyers and sellers you communicate to and the market conditions of the market areas in which you operate. You convey a message to a targeted audience, your market, and you work in targeted areas, the market. It's about the issues and motivations of your targeted audience and the issues and conditions of the market area. You may have one or more targeted audiences and you can have one or more market areas. For some, their target audience and market area are one and the same because the targeted buyers and sellers, they lead generate to encompass the entire general population of the market they operate in. For others, the specific buyers and sellers they target are simply a subset of their overall market. Either approach can work. That's like going after four sell by owners or every door direct mail, right? Kind of makes sense. You just want to be clear on who is who you're addressing and on the current market conditions of the area. So make sure you target your message to the person you're reaching out to. So to give you an example in the real estate investor world, um, don't talk about foreclosure. If you're reaching out to probate leads, right? Make sure you target your marketing message to people going through probate. That's what he's talking about. And that's targeting a segment of the market, right? Or the broad shotgun approach. You hit every door with some generalized um, message, like a shotgun, right? Every door direct mail. Your message must match your market to be effective. This is a timeless business truth that descends all markets and market conditions. In a constricting market, this truth becomes critical since the message people respond to narrows greatly. When motivation is low, there are fewer messages that work. The message you put out to attract prospective buyers and sellers is everything. Why would they want to contact you in this market? What would they get if they did? These two questions are at the heart of all effective messaging. The smartest lead generators know that people respond to messages that matter to them now. And this becomes the driving theme of all their lead generation activities. When the market shifts, they immediately know that all their lead generation messages must now shift to match the new market. So what he's saying is if the market shifts, the shit you're doing, don't toss it. Save it, but you probably will have to adjust it to the market conditions. Back to the book. Messaging is built on the proven idea that people will contact you if there is some direct benefit to them. The opportunity to get something they want or need drives their contact. Promoting your personal brand matters a lot because of the validity it creates for you. But in a shifted market, personal branding alone without a lead generating message won't get you the motivated leads you need. The effective message makes the phone ring and it will do the heavy lifting of your lead generation. It will be the driving force behind why people contact you. 
They will connect with you when your message connects with their why, when it speaks to their personal motivations and not before and not after, right? Think about what you respond to. Go through your direct mail and and read your letters and see what works for you. See what interests you. This is why you have to constantly mail your list too in direct mail when you're doing wholesaling because if we knew who was motivated, we just send it right to them, but we don't. And we don't know when they're going to be motivated either, so we got to stay in front of them. Similar situation applies here. The second principle of lead generation messaging is your message must make an offer to get a response. So you got, yeah, you got to make an offer. Come on, man. When you create messages for buyers and sellers, you must determine what kind of offer you will make based on what kind of responses you want. This theory is called offering response messaging. Now, please know that this has been confusingly mislabeled by many as direct response marketing for some strange reason I don't quite understand. The concept they are trying to describe is actually a foundational messaging principle that applies to both prospecting and marketing and includes two types of offers. When you lead generate, you are simply making offers to people with the expectation of a response, thus the name offer response. Your two offer choices are to either make a direct offer to go to an immediate response or to make an indirect offer to get an immediate response. And there's a picture here. Direct offer, indirect offer. A direct offer is exactly that, direct. It is an offer designed to get an immediate response from someone who wants to buy or sell with you now. An indirect offer is still an offer that seeks an immediate response, but not directly for using your services or helping them buy or sell. It is an offer to get something else from you now. Thus, it is called an indirect offer, which puts you in a relationship with them and opens the door to possibly doing business with you in the future. Do you have an email list to get started? Do you have a podcast to get started? You got a YouTube channel? You got subscribers? Got a text list? See where this is going, right? Maybe they're not ready to do business with you now, but they are willing to open a line of communication to get business with you in the future. This is uh, one of the reasons why I create all this content. Don't get me wrong. I really like doing this, and I'm sure you can tell. And it's a fun thing to do. It's also an enormous amount of work. And I, as fun as it is, I doubt I'd be doing it just for the pure enjoyment, right? Back to the book. If you're offering a home for sale and they respond, that is a direct offer and an immediate response. They are immediately interesting in buy, interested in buying. If, on the other hand, you offer a free report of some kind and they respond, this is an indirect offer and an immediate response. They are immediately interested in the report, but they haven't indicated an immediate interest in buying or selling. They are not seeking to hire you for what you directly do, but their response may give you the opportunity to build a relationship and serve them sometime down the road. Direct offers seek to generate immediate responses to buy or sell, and indirect offers speak to generate immediate responses for something from you other than buy or sell. So either way, you you want them to do something. They're going to say, hey, call, come list my house or come buy my house, or you want them to sign up on your list or text or whatever. Back to the book. One is a path to immediate business and one is a path to immediate services that might lead to future business. One takes a direct route to doing business and the other an indirect route. Thus, the label is direct and indirect. Regardless of of which offer you make, you always want people to respond now. To do this, you must practice the simple concept of M-O-F-I-R. Make offers for immediate response at all times. 
You might have heard this explanation in the past as a call to action, for it is tried and true messaging theory. Whether it's indirect or direct offer you use in your message, you should always call someone to action by putting forth an offer they will immediately respond to. The bottom line is that to be an effective lead generator, you need to make offers that motivated buyers or sellers will respond to right away. Why would you ever make an indirect offer in a shifted market when making a direct offer would seem to be a straighter path to get you exactly what you want? The reason is that not everyone responds to direct offers. Well, also, not everybody's ready, right? Get them on a list so you can keep, you know, so you can keep in contact with them. Sorry, back to the book. By casting out wider nets using both your fishing both your fishing for the two types, sorry, by casting out wider nets using both, you're fishing for the two types of people out there and covering your bases at all times. And both work as well in a shifted market as they do under any other market conditions. The issue isn't about which work which is better because you really want to be doing both. The priority is making sure your offers always care and carry an immediate response. You're looking for opportunities to convert people to immediate business, and you're also looking for opportunities to get into a dialogue with people for future business. Got to take care of now. Got to take care of later. It's like farming, right? Got to plant some seeds. You can make any number of indirect offers ranging from specific information to free reports to something of economic value. Best Buy lists, free foreclosure home lists, property hotlines, custom property searches, free podcasts, just saying, reports. You create such as the five mistakes you can't afford to make when selling and money-saving offers are all great examples of indirect offers. The key to making it effective is to appeal to people's motivation and do it differently than other agents so that it stands out. Offering a free CMA, for example, is a fairly common indirect offer that sellers will regularly respond to under any market condition. Some would argue that it is a direct offer, but they would be wrong. Remember that a direct offer is buy a home through me or list with me. It is a direct offer when the only answer is that they do or don't do business with you. The free CMA doesn't pass the simple test because you're actually offering a free service and information that could lead to a listing at some point. This makes it an indirect offer. A simple free CMA, while tried and true, is probably being offered by nearly everyone in some matter, but since it is something people still want you Still want, you'll just have to think outside the box when you make them the offer if you want to get your unfair share of responses. Focus on the market situation and the personal or logical motivations. That would drive people to respond to an offer and then shape your indirect offer accordingly. By the way, follow the same approach with your direct offers too. Your message needs a method. Now that you're clear about the messages you will use, you must pick your methods for getting them out. The two categories all lead generation methods fall into are prospecting and marketing. Prospecting is where you go get the leads and marketing is where you do things to cause the leads to come to you. Pretty basic, right? I'm going to highlight that just as a reminder. Very few people prospect. This is why I do so much cold calling. If I can get it before they respond to your postcard, I'm just saying... Spent all that money on that postcard. All I did was made a phone, make a phone call. Maybe got my feelings hurt. Prospecting is you making contact with people and marketing is people making contact with you. Prospecting is seeking out and marketing is attracting. Prospecting can be done by phone or in person while marketing is done through any published medium or broadcast media. 
Although you'll consistently hear people say they do one or the other, research says you should do both. I agree. Doing both helps you avoid any risk of having all your eggs in one basket. And this diversification actually increases your odds of long-term success. Also, I find they, they complement each other too, right? Give you an example. You do the, I do this Renegade Detroit Investor podcast. It becomes more popular. More people come to Renegade Detroit Investors. I have an opportunity to talk to more people. I have, I have more people I can follow up with. So people contact me because of the podcast and they come to meetings and then I reach out to them as well. It's like to hear about you. So when you reach out to them, to somebody new, like, oh yeah, I heard about your podcast, you know? Oh yeah, I got your postcard or I saw your billboard. You see what I'm saying? It's like um, validation. They, they tend to work hand in hand. Prospecting can be done, back to the book, sorry. Prospecting can be done by phone or in person while marketing is done through any published medium or broadcast media. Although you'll consistently hear people say they do, but, oops, sorry, I read, uh, I read that part again. My bad, dog. Doing both helps you avoid any risk of having all your eggs in one basket. Also, both offer unique benefits. Prospecting gives you instant contact with the market and provides you the best timely feedback. It immediately lets you know what people are responding to and gives you the quickest proactive way to control results. That's why I love it. Marketing gives you the opportunity to get a wider audience faster and offers you the best chance for lead for lead generation leverage. It's really hard to call a bunch of people, right? But you can send out one person can send out 10,000 postcards to call 10,000 people would take a long time, right? It can put your message in front of a lot of people efficiently and at the least cost per person possible. Your ongoing lead generation goal is always to get in the path of as many motivated buyers and sellers as you possibly can. To do that, you must do both. Many people think of prospecting and marketing as mutually exclusive, but I encourage you to think bigger and see them as mutually supportive. See, I just think I wasn't patient. I didn't get to it in the book. Your prospecting can be supported or enhanced by your marketing, and your marketing can be supported or enhanced by your prospecting. I'm gonna, I mean, I know I said that earlier, but Gary has a lot more money than I am, so I'm going to highlight his part. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Uh, <laughs> Joe was telling me how if you uh, sometimes you disagree with him, he's like, I could buy and sell you all day long. Shit's true. The only limits here are probably a lack of creativity. Continually seek ways to make both work at the same time. A simple example would be holding an open house, prospecting, and also passing out best buy lists, marketing, or doing both prospecting, door knocking, or calls, and marketing direct mail to get people to attend the open house. As you look at the list in figure 13, you realize there are quite a variety of prospecting and marketing methods to choose from. Remember, the secret to successful lead generation is getting in the path of prospects with a message that matches their motivation for the market they're in. Once you understand that the message is at work, it's just a function of getting in front of enough people who are motivated to buy or sell. Look at this list again. Pick a few and get started. Which ones do you did you pick? Do you pick? The ones you're most likely to work the fastest for you, given your market. Let me read this list. Prospecting, number one, telemarketing, for sale by owners, expired listings, just solds, just listed, past clients, allied resources, geographic farm area, apartments, corporations, builders, banks, third-party companies. These are all people you can just buy lists and basically cold call. Number two, face-to-face, allied resources, meals, door-to-door canvassing, open houses, client parties, networking events, 
social functions and community events like a little RDA meetup. I'm just saying seminars, booths and events, teaching and speaking opportunities. And then under marketing, we have number one, advertising, newspapers, personal vehicles, radio, magazines, bus stop benches, billboards, yellow pages, television, grocery carts, moving vans. Number two, promotional items, magnets, calendars, all that stuff, coffee cups, notepads. Number three, internet websites. Number four, direct mail, one of my favorites. Postcard campaigns, just sold, just listed cards. Could be your wholesale stuff too. Special events cards, quarterly market updates. IVR and computer retrieval programs. I actually have no idea about that. Broadcast, voice, email, fax. Number seven, signs, directional signs, brochure boxes. Number eight, name badges, logo shirts, car signs. Number nine, news releases, advice columns. Number 10, farming, geographical, demogra- uh, demographic, or psychographic. Number 11, sponsorship, little league, charities, community events. Um, could be also be testimonials on here too, right? I guess it could be a billboard. You know, you know, when you get, uh, what do you call it? Third party validation and some rich guy, come on some baseball player. Anyway, you regularly hear some real estate agents saying one method works better than other than, than another. This may be true for them. However, I believe any method executed properly and consistently can be quite successful. And top agents rarely use just one method. So the question you should ask is not what methods you will do, but what methods you will do first. The answer should be simple and straightforward. The methods that will generate the most leads in the shortest amount of time for the least amount of your effort and money invested. Right? Again, back to tracking. The only way you're going to know that is if you're tracking. Can you tell me right now where every one of your leads comes from? Or let's say 99%. If you can't, get busy. Back to the book. Now, although there's no set formula for this, some target audiences are going to be better than others in a shifted market. You will want to prospect and market to those people you can directly identify as motivated and to others who identify them for you because they know you and trust you. That first list would include open houses, for sale by owners, expired listings, foreclosures, builders with spec home. Uh, spec homes built and relocation buyers or sellers among others, right? The second list would be people in your met database, people you physically met, right? Your past clients, your sphere of influence, friends and acquaintances who will believe who you believe will send you referrals, right? Basically you have a personal relationship with them. They know you. You're using messages and making offers, trying to discover if they want or need to buy and sell in this market and trying to discover if they know of anyone who might want or need to buy or sell in this market. The thing to avoid is simply trolling for motivated people without any clue where they are. At some point, as you seek to increase your leads, this will be, this will be acceptable, but not until you're already generating an adequate number of motivated leads they are closing, that are closing. Quick leads first, more leads second, and lots of leads third. Since prospecting can literally cost no money, you should go straight to prospecting while you get comfortable with your marketing choices. Remember that prospecting is about converting your message to effective verbal dialogues and scripts you must practice and learn. Marketing is about converting your messages effectively to the print medium or broadcast media you choose. Your effectiveness at either will be part knowledge and part experience. Give some basic training and then dive in. Don't wait to become an expert because you can't become one by studying. 
Your greatest teacher and skill builder is your personal experience. The most successful real estate people or most successful real estate salespeople, both prospect and market. Why? There are limits to your reach with prospecting that don't exist with marketing. Kind of we're talking about earlier, right? Hard to call 10,000 people, easy to send them postcards. Prospecting is something you must always show up to do. Marketing is something you unleash and then works without you having to be there. Prospecting is about seeking opportunities. It's active. You're getting out there. It's the act of personally calling and contacting targeted people you haven't met or people you have met. Marketing is the opposite of prospecting. Instead of seeking opportunities, marketing is about attracting them. It's the work of placing your messages where you believe motivated buyers and sellers are most likely to see them and hear them. When leads become fewer, prospecting increases. The research for the millionaire real estate agent showed that top agents use the marketing-based and prospecting-enhanced approach. But experience teaches us that a shifted market requires that you move more towards prospecting. In a shifted market, you got to do more, right? To make less, to make the same amount, you got to make, you got to do more work. You could still be marketing based, but you're probably going to be doing more prospecting than you were. It's also about meeting your lead generation goals. Prospecting tends to uncover motivated leads faster and keeps you more in control because prospecting puts you in immediate contact with people. You get immediate feedback. And that is what you want in a shifted market. This isn't to say that marketing isn't effective. It is. What the research shows is that when marketing, when markets shift for most top agents, their lead generation will shift more in the direction of prospecting, but they don't quit marketing. For a few top agents, they will actually remain marketing-based and simply tweak where and how they do it. But there's a select group breathing rare air. Even this group could benefit from adding or increasing some level of prospecting to their activities. Time on task over time will serve you well in mastering your approaches, but be careful that your behavioral style doesn't betray you. Most real estate agents fall into two broad behavioral types, those who like to take action first and those who like to study first. Gee, I wonder which one I am. Which one are you? And although there are many behavioral assessments that call these various names, they all boil down to one simple concept, fear of making a mistake. Those who aren't afraid to make a mistake just jump right in and easily accept the idea they're going to learn as they go. Others shudder at this thought and think about all the mistakes they could make. Man, that's pretty clear, right? Which one are you? I don't give a shit about making mistakes. I hate it, but it's the quickest way for me to learn. It's like uh, that book, um, maybe we'll read it sometime. Ready, fire, aim instead of ready, aim, fire. Which one are you? They believe that only after they have thoroughly studied something and mastered it should they go out and take action. Honestly, I believe both are wrong. Regardless of your behavior style, I think you should quickly study and learn the basics, then take action while you continue to study. Studying and practicing is one thing. Doing it is another. Both are required to master anything at a high level. So the doer must also be the student and the student must also be the doer. The question remains, when do you take action and when do you study? Experience says that an ongoing cycle of study and practice, take action, study and practice, take action is the best approach. I maybe am a little light on the studying and pretty heavy on the action. So I'm going to highlight this and maybe encourage myself to study a little bit more. 
Don't be a slave to your preferred behavior style. I get it, Gary. I'm trying, man. You must gain some control over yourself no matter which natural style you are. You must do both to become your best. I want to be my best, Gary. If you're an action-first person, I want you to slow down long enough to study and practice 30 minutes each day before you take off. That is excellent advice. A little research and role-playing will do so much for your effectiveness. You just won't believe it. So experience it. And remember that when you learn only from your experience, you're learning a lot less than you should. If you're a study-first person, I want you to realize that you can't know it all no matter how much you study. So get on a study program you're comfortable with and take action while you're on it. And remember, if experiential learning isn't on the program, you're arguably missing the most important part. The true professional. Consider this. Most difficulties in real estate transactions, from simple misunderstandings all the way to costly lawsuits, come from agents who think they know it all. They erroneously believe that the customer expects them to have all the answers, and as such, they think that being a professional is about always knowing all the answers. This couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, it's unprofessional. A true professional knows what they know, knows what they don't know, and knows the difference between the two. That was in the one thing too, right? I find with a lot of new people, they, they have to and or this, um, I don't know, this prosperity cult, right? Or positivity cult where you can't talk, you can't, you have to pretend to know things you don't know and all these other things. You know, if you don't know, just say you don't know, man. If you're new, say you're new. If you're experienced, say you're experienced. So when they know, they tell. And when they don't know, They go get advice. Professionals never fake or bluff their way ahead. People want to work with someone who will get them the right answer no matter where it comes from. Notice the point? They want the right answer, not someone who knows the right answer. By now, you certainly must realize that real estate transactions are never so time sensitive that there isn't time to stop and ask someone a question or do some research to verify something. Anyone who acts that way is just doing it because they want to or think they should, not because a transaction or customer requires it. People want to work with someone who says, I'm a professional. That means I know what I know, and I know what I don't know, and I know the difference between the two. So when I know, I'll just tell you, and when I don't, I'll go find the answer. This way, you can always have confidence that I'm getting the best answers, that you are getting the best answers possible. I think that's a good line. I think we actually use that, and I just haven't memorized it yet. Joe, be so proud. This is what a true professional does, and this is what you should do. The definition of being a professional should set you free to move forward, confident in your ability to offer professional service with the knowledge and experience you have. No matter what your behavioral style, when you take action, really go after it. Don't just do a little and expect a lot. To get the best returns from any lead generation activity, you must go all out. An example of really working lead generation method is the open house. Some just put a sign yard while others do much, much more. And there's a um, picture taking open houses beyond the basics as level one, signing yard, level two, signing yard, signing yard, balloons and riders. Level three, signing yards, signing yard with balloons and riders, directional signs at all key corners. And this just goes on and on down. So you have like all this stuff you're doing. 
Successfully generating leads in any market is about understanding how to create effective offer response messages. This is about implementing effective lead generation methods to put your message in the path of your target audience, motivated buyers and sellers. And finally, it's about weighing the responses and making necessary adjustments on an ongoing basis to improve your results. In the end, you must decide how much you want to succeed and how much you're willing to do to make it happen. That may force you to acknowledge or work through your personal behavior style or challenges. Make no mistake about it. A shift requires you to do all you can with every lead generation method available. There's just not much. um, I don't know if you remember from last week, we're talking about you must abandon the habits of a good market and adopt the good habits of a bad market. Kind of the same thing here. When there are fewer leads, you must give more effort. Don't get stuck in old ruts. Anything less than your best effort just won't cut it. Step three, ramp it up. Now that you know what your messages need to be for your market and you know what lead generation methods you intend to use, there is only one thing left to do. Start lead generating. At the risk of being blatantly obvious, I feel compelled to point out that in order for you to be a truly successful lead generator, you must actually do lead generation. You must do it a lot. You can't do it one day here and one day there, and you can't do it in an hour here and an hour there. An inconsistent approach can get you leads, but it won't get you anywhere near the number of leads you need when the market shifts. So maybe you're not the best at following up. That's why I have follow-up Friday, man. Start training now. We're in a good market. Prepare now. You're going to need a lot of leads, and that means you're going to have to do a lot of lead generating. You must do it every day. You must do it several hours every day. You must do it every workday for the rest of your career. You must ramp it up and keep it up. No negotiations. Got it? To do this, you must subscribe to one simple belief. Dealing with business never takes precedence over finding business. Never. I've made this mistake so many times. Do you ever catch yourself in a cycle? You do a bunch of prospecting and marketing, a bunch of deals or leads or sellers, whatever comes in, you stop doing it, you go deal with it, and you finish it all up and realize you have nothing left in your uh, pipeline. That's because you're not following this rule, right? You must adopt a position that until your lead generation is done every day, nothing else should get done. This may seem like a tough position for you to adopt, but adopt it you must. Otherwise, you will consist. You will constantly find other things that seem more important or allow other things to convince you they're more important. I'm just highlighting this whole fucking paragraph. I feel like this sums up a lot of people's lack of success, and especially me early on, the first five years where I wasn't as consistent as I could have been and should have been. And just a truth. When I was learning this concept, I put a sign over my desk that read, until your number one priority is done, everything else is a distraction. This daily reminder helped me and it may help you. If you don't follow this, you haven't yet learned the true meaning of prioritizing. The number one challenge you face won't be either of the first two issues we've covered. It will be this, consistently doing lead generation activities over time. It is the one true challenge all real estate agents face and the number one stumbling block that knocks most out of the game. Yep. I say that applies to you savages too, right? You investors. Not getting lead generation done day in and day out may suffice in a hot market, but it will put you out of business in a cold one. To ensure your lead generation is always your number one priority and that it gets done daily, you must acquire the discipline of time blocking. 
Time blocking is setting aside daily blocks of time to execute your most important business priorities. Think of it as making appointments with yourself. Once done, you must protect that time against any and all distractions. Before I explain how to time block, I want to confront one of the most disabling myths you can hold, the myth of being disciplined. One of the great dysfunctional goals set for their lives is become a disciplined person. They say it all the time. I just need to become disciplined, or I really wish I were disciplined. There's no such thing as a disciplined person, and even if there were, why would you want to be one? The concept of a disciplined person is a myth. No one is disciplined in all things. No one. If someone looks like they are, they aren't. If someone tells you they are, they're not. Being a disciplined person simply isn't a possibility or a necessity. You can't be one, but the good news is you don't need to be one. I believe that when you see someone who appears to be a disciplined person, what you're really seeing is a person who has actually just acquired a few very key disciplines in a specific area. They have figured out what the handful of foundational disciplines are that they must do in order to be the best at what they're doing, and that is all And that is all they've done. They prioritize their disciplines they need, and they only have gone after the most important ones. When we did the original research for the millionaire real estate agent, we made an interesting discovery. The one thing all top producers have in common is that they consistently lead generate. On other issues, top agents are very different. But on this one issue, they all share a common bond. They are disciplined in doing their lead generation activities. They do many things differently, but they all do one thing the same. They manage their time so they get their lead generation activities done every day. The challenge of a shift is that you won't have any choice. If you are inconsistent in doing your lead generation activities, you will most likely need to be really concerned about surviving, and you can absolutely forget about thriving. I'm going to highlight that. You know how many people just stop in a down market and just wait for – I mean, how many people were in this Kelly Williams building fucking seven years ago, right? Right back in the middle of the crash? Probably less than 10%. And then a good market comes, and now your 16 stepmoms and your second cousin, everybody you know is a fucking real estate agent, right? Or an investor or a flipper. Back to the book. If you struggle with a challenge of consistently lead generating, don't fear, for there is a simple solution for you. It is time-tested and guaranteed to work. You must time block for it. We covered this pretty extensively in the one thing. Successful people annually time block three things. First, they make a list of all the vacations and time off they want to take for the year, and they time block them off in the calendar. This way, they have guaranteed themselves, their family, and their friends that personal time off comes first. Now they're simply working in between their time off instead of working all the time, and as a result, taking too little time off too late. Second, they take out their calendar and time block a few hours every day devoted to to nothing but lead generating. Third, they time block an hour each week to plan their week. If they have others that work or report to them, they then actually block out a four slot each week to meet with these individuals and work with them on their goals, plans, actions, and results. And that's it. I'm going to highlight that part because I've recently done that. And I need to implement this better. This is all the business time blocking you need to do. If you commit to this approach, you'll set the one discipline in motion you absolutely must have to be a successful in a shifting market. 
Top agents know that this is a singular business building block they must put in place. It will be the difference between staying in business and being forced out. It is that important. The formula for this time-blocking discipline is called the 3-3 and stands for three things done in three hours. Now, you can take more time, but you don't need to do more than three things. Research says that you will need at least three hours a day of lead generation time, and you must do three things during it to be effective. So you're just saying three different methods, right? Time blocking. Why use a pencil and a month-at-a-glance calendar? I highly recommend that you use a month-at-a-glance calendar and use a pencil instead of a pen until you become an advanced time blocker. After all these years, I still use these simple tools because they still work well and there isn't a compelling alternative. I get a lot of pushback from agents who use handheld devices for this purpose, but there are real limitations to that approach. My philosophy is if you argue is if if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. It's my personal experience that when someone truly understands how time blocking works, they discover that the most effective way to do it is by using a month at a glance calendar. This type of calendar has one huge advantage that handheld devices can never overcome, and it's in the name. Month at a glance. Don't trade portability for vision. It is a poor exchange when your goal is to have real vision, and to effectively manage your time. You need to know what opportunities you might miss when you say yes to something that you can only do by seeing the entire month at one time. The pencil is so that you can practice the sacred rule of time blocking, which is if you erase, you must replace. Think of time blocking as a placeholder to ensure that you get something done regularly. Should you absolutely have to do something else during a time block period? And it will happen. Then you erase it and simply replace it at the earliest point you can fit it in. Abiding by this rule will ensure that you will intend that you will ensure that what you intend to do gets done and is the point of time blocking. So well, here's what I do. I use both. I don't use the month at a glance, but I actually have three things I do. So I use an electronic calendar. Sorry, Gary, but I need to be notified. I want to be text. I don't want to forget about things. I try and uh, clear the path to success, right? So all my appointments go in my electronic calendar. I can get to just about anywhere. I'm going to set an appointment in an hour or less. So I set the appointment for a, the reminder for an hour ahead and I have to give me a text and an email. That way I don't forget. I don't see your month at a glance calendar doing that. I also physically carry a calendar where I write my goals twice a day. Um, and I keep track of all the other activities that I'm doing and I take some notes in and basically I track my numbers in that too. So how many appointments I set, all that, it gets written down there first. So I have like this hybrid combo and then I also have my goals and my weekly time block time printed out and set right in front of me at my standing desk. So I have to look at it every single day so I can't ignore it. And I do all three of those things. Um, I wouldn't give up my electronic calendar either. I'm going to disagree with Gary on this. So back to the book. To absolutely ensure it gets done, you must go to your calendar and block out the three-hour time slots each day, time that you know you can keep each day without interruption. This is a challenge, but it can be accomplished. You have to commit to doing it and then keep your commitment. The best time to do this in the morning is when you're fresh and have the most energy. And since the world is just getting started, it will be the easiest time commitment to keep and the best time period to consistently catch people. 
Since you invariably miss some people for a variety of reasons, you will also have to commit some evening time as well. You'll need at least three hours in the morning every day and an hour to an hour and a half in the evening, two nights a week to accomplish your goals. The best times will be between 8 a.m. to noon and between 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the evening. There's a figure here. What do you do in your three hours? Number one, prepare. Number two, take action. Number three, maintain. The three things you'll do during your lead generation time block each day are prepare, take action, and maintain. First, prepare. When prospecting, create your message and offers, assemble your call or door knocking lists, rehearse scripts and role play them, prepare handouts for any visits, do all the necessary preparatory work for your prospecting, like an open house, and do any mail outs required to support your activities. If you're marketing, create your messages and offers, assemble a mailing list, plan any touch activities, such as an 8x8, 12-direct, or 33-touch programs taught in a millionaire real estate agent. Do any prep work on mailers or ads, work on your website, secure postage, take photos, and so forth. Give this preparation stage about 30 minutes, but no more than an hour, and then move on. If you get much more than that, please realize you're simply preparing to lead generate but not actually doing it. It's an excellent point, right? Beforehand, get your water, any snacks you may need, all that shit. Now move on to taking action. My favorite part, the hardier lead generating uh, lead generation time block. You need a minimum of two hours for this, so plan accordingly. If you're prospecting, make calls. Go see people, host open houses, make follow-up calls, and write notes. If you're marketing, do mail merge and mail, deliver mail and add copy, write notes and respond to inquiries from all sources. Stick to this and don't skip out early. This is where your leads are generated. If you can allow more than two hours a day, do it. You won't regret the time you put into taking action to generate leads. It is always well invested. It's like working out, right? Gee, I wish I had worked out as hard. I wish I would have worked out less. I wish I was in less shape, right? There's some actions, right? So there's um, anatomy of a three-hour day, and it's a picture here in the book. It says, number one, prepare. Number two, take action. Number three, maintain. And there's some prospecting activities. They just went through and there's some marketing activities. Finally, address any needed maintenance. This is the same for prospecting and marketing. Enter results into your database, write follow-up notes, record anything you need to record, track your results, do any scheduling and calendaring, and fulfill any promises you made. While maintenance is important, preparation and taking action are more important. Your goal is consistent lead generation, and the way to do it is seeing your job as lead generation first and servicing second. I'm going to highlight that. Lead generation is just more important. It just is. If you don't have leads, you don't get an option about servicing, right? Unless you want to go up and down all the time. Oh, actually, I see a picture. He's getting to that point. The way to think about this is the way you think about going to the movies. When you go to the movies, you turn off your cell phone. Don't allow any distractions or disruptions. And for a couple hours, you focus on the movie. Unless there is an absolute crisis, you do not interrupt the movie. And it works for you. You do this all the time for personal pleasure. So now I want you to do it for your business success. I want you to go to the movies every day, at least five days a week for three hours in the morning and an hour to hour and a half up to two evenings a week. Now in order for and now in order to do this your environment must support this goal. That means your family, your friends, your office and any team members must respect and support your time block periods. You are at the movies 
and not to be disturbed by anything or anyone else over. And it's a long movie, money movie. Get in the path of business. Lead generation is a contact sport with simple rules. It means making contact with people through prospecting and marketing. Then once you meet you once you meet your new contacts, you either do business with them immediately or you don't. Either way, once you've met them, put them in a database and stay in touch with them forever. Your number one job as a real estate agent is to find ways to get in the path of motivated buyers and sellers. Oddly, the tendency for most agents in a shifting market is to cocoon, to just wander around the office or stay at home and wait for things to change. Obviously, this is a mistake. When the market changes, you don't slow down, you ramp it up. A shift requires you to do very specific things every day if you want to succeed. You can't succeed sitting on the sidelines. Every day, you must get in the game and make plays. It is is crunch time for lead generation. Tactic number five, get to the table, lead conversion. Most people never run far enough on their first win to find they've got a second. William James. The market is less active and motivated leads are less forthcoming. Your effort is there and yet results are sluggish. Shifts happen. When one does, you immediately consider any lead to be a good lead. And another time, this might hold true, but not now. Not in a shift. As you ramp up your lead generating and experience the market, you start to see the absolute nature of it. Lots of leads, but fewer good ones. Scarcity defines a shift, and instantly you get it. You recognize that for right now, good leads are great and great leads are golden, but leads that become timely appointments are what really matters. If you do lead generation but don't get a name and number, what good is it? If you get a name and number but can't get an appointment, what good are they? Aha! As important as lead generating activities are, if you can't get a name, number, and ultimately an appointment, what have you really accomplished? Doing lead generating activity is one thing. Getting an active lead from it is another. And this is why I have my, um, when we're setting appointments, this is why I have my uh, my boiler room when they come on Thursday and, Thursday and Friday nights and we do calls and we do all that stuff where I can hear them and all that. Because the point of the call is not to make the calls, it's to set appointments and preferably Good appointments. So I'm going to highlight that part because I think it's important. Right? Doing lead generating activity is one thing. Getting an active lead from it is another. Without the ability to turn activities into leads and leads into appointments, any lead generating activities you do are futile. In other words, conversion matters. It seriously matters and maybe more than you ever realized. In a shifting market, it matters that it matters the most because, quite frankly, what you need more than anything else are appointments with motivated buyers and sellers right now. The essential truth is that your success in a shifting market will hinge entirely on your ability to convert leads. You can make this happen by doing two things well generating leads and converting them to appointments. The ultimate success of your lead generating is directly dependent on your lead conversion ability. One can't work without the other. Highlight that too. What are you guys highlighting? Sometimes I wish you could talk back. It would make it harder. You guys would mess with me, wouldn't you? You certainly would. Back to the book. Yet many agents spend significant amounts of time and money on their lead 
production proficiency, but then neglect their lead conversion competence. This is never an effective way to operate in any market, but you absolutely can't do this when the market shifts. The effort you give to converting leads must match the effort you give to generating them. Most entirely miss this. They look at the number of appointments and assume their lead generation isn't working. The bigger truth might be that their lead conversion isn't working. While agents regularly talk about generating leads, they rarely give equal discussion time to converting them. Why? A lack of clarity. Most of them see them as one and the same, but they're not. They're two distinct efforts with your lead generation activity actually being the first. When you say you've generated a real lead, what you're really saying is that you have the name, contact information, and an appointment with a motivated person. That actually is the second effort of the process called conversion. Until you've done conversion, you don't really have a lead. You may have an inquiry, a web hit, or a suspect, but you don't have a prospect. Don't fool yourself about this. You can't say you have a lead until you've talked with them and set an appointment. I have a friend who's an avid fisherman. He loves to joke with others when they say they're going fishing. He says, you do? I like to go catching. He makes a good point. We tend to speak of the activity we engage in rather than the outcome we seek. It's a difference between what we do and why we do it, action versus purpose. When it comes to lead generation, just realize you're talking about two things, lead generating activities and lead converting to an appointment. Double dip. In a shifted market, you really have no choice but to acknowledge the importance of lead lead conversion to your success. Motivated leads can be scarce, so each one becomes precious. This means you can't afford to waste even one. You not only must be able to convert leads to appointments, you but also be able to convert as high a percentage as possible. Convert any and all, and you can become critical, so you must give it equal energy and attention. The challenge is that lead conversion is a process that gets interrupted as an event that just sort of occurs on its own. Thus, it gets misunderstood and shortchanged. For most, it remains largely unexamined, often neglected, and seldom mastered. He's throwing out some gold on this one. Call yourself a salesman, you son of a bitch. The leads are weak. Right? A little Glengarry Glen Ross. Time old, tested. Back to the book. If someone is able, ready, and willing to buy or sell right now, then conversion feels like an event that just happens. But that is not the case. Conversion is actually a collapsed process disguised as an event. Conversion can happen fast or slow, but it's always a process. The common perception is that prospects either just ask you to meet with them or you ask them. Straightforward and simple, right? Well, yes and no. On one hand, this is exactly what happens, but it rarely just ever happens. If you naively approach it as an event and only prepare for it this way, your conversion percent will be much lower than it could or should be. Consistently getting every possible appointment from your leads you generate isn't complicated, but it does require preparation, practice, and purposeful action. Our research, regu- uh, our research regularly uncovered scenarios where an agent was allowing others, staff, or sales agents on their team to do all their lead converting. As the appointment to lead percentage trended lower and lower, they started to hear the excuse of leads aren't as good as they used to be. To, des- to test this, they took all the leads back and did the converting themselves. And guess what? The appointments always went up, significantly up. So what did they learn? It wasn't about the leads. It was about the people. You know, hearing people, the leads are weak. 
their people were underperforming at lead conversion. Even worse, because they didn't respect it, they couldn't get better at it. In fact, many agents have discovered that outside of actually generating leads, personally handling converting leads to appointments is the most dollar productive thing they can do for their business. And this is right. It's that important. I'm highlighting a lot of this one. Speaking to me, man. I hope it's speaking to you, right? If not, highlight something different. That's what you should be doing anyway, right? Regardless of whether they want to do business immediately or in the future, the process of conversion is the same. The only difference is the time frame. Converting leads begins with capturing enough information to be able to make contact with the prospective seller or buyer. Moves to connecting, engaging in meaningful contact where you get information, gain understanding and build a relationship, and ends with closing by phone or in person for an appointment. Without an appointment, conversion hasn't happened. You're engaged in the lead generating lead generation activity without achieving your lead generation goal. And the only purpose in finding a lead is landing an appointment. It's all about getting to the table. Shifts create urgency. The competition for leads becomes fierce and your only choice is to get your unfair share of them. This means you not only have to find leads before others, but also convert them to appointments before they get away to others. As quick as you can, you have to get the people who want to do business. Moods swing and circumstances change. In a shift, the path from interest to appointment is fraught with distractions and interferences that can dissuade or discourage even the most motivated The better you become at converting leads to appointments, the faster you will be able to move and the more opportunities you will have. National Association of Realtors, NAR, research over the years has consistently communicated that the real competition in real estate is getting to the table, not at it. Their revealing statistics show that approximately two-thirds of all buyers and sellers only interview one agent and approximately half of the remainder only interview two. Getting to the table first or second is what matters. I'd say this in, I actually set up my calling and the people I work with and everything for that reason. I want to see who shows up and who does what they're supposed to when they're supposed to, because first counts for a lot. I kind of have a little analogy. I don't know if I borrowed it or stole it, or I'm sure I did. Um, but being first is like a B minus, right? If you're first, you're starting at a B minus. So even if your skills aren't very good, it doesn't matter. You're first, and that's what the research shows. At first counts for a lot. If you're second and a stone cold closer, the person who was first still, by odds, is far more likely to get it because they were first. So just being second means you're already starting behind somebody who is first, regardless of their skill level, if that makes sense. So when you're thinking, I'll get back to that in an hour. No, you won't do it now. Back to the book. And this makes conversion more important than presentation. The competitive battle is almost single-handedly won simply by getting an appointment before somebody else does. Man, yeah, boy, where was this book when I was learning all this shit the hard way? It was back to the action without studying part of the book. If I had read it, I'd know, right? It's probably not reading. 
The number one challenge you face after you encountered a lead opportunity is not making a winning presentation. It's winning the appointment. Our industry is about getting appointments, buyers and seller agreements, and sales contracts. If you don't get appointments, you won't get any agreements and you won't get any contracts. To win at the table, you must first get to the table. When you say you're lead generating, be clear that you're actually getting appointments. You're getting to the table. If you aren't, then you're really not lead generating. Capture, connect, and close. Lead conversion is simple, but it still requires more than just winging it. Unfortunately, this is exactly what most agents do and what you should not do. It is as straightforward as simply asking for the information, but not running them off in the process. It is as simple as finding common ground, but not just finding things in common. It is as easy as just requesting a meeting, but not as haphazard as just letting it come to pass. In other words, getting an appointment can just happen or it can consistently happen. Conversion success comes to those who intentionally and repeatedly do three things with every lead. Capture, connect, and close. A lot of people don't like to do the close, too. you got to ask for the business, right? you got to ask them to sign. Capturing should always focus on getting enough information from them so that you can contact them. Your connecting must feel natural and allow you to assess their needs and establish a relationship. Your closing will seem effortless and likely lead to a decision to meet. You have a choice. Repeatable and dependable or unpredictable and unreliable. You can become prepared or you can wing it. It's your call. Many agents assume that a prospect will determine if they meet or not, but actually it will be you. Either your ability will cause a meeting to take place or your lack of ability will prevent it. This isn't a game of chance, but a game of scripts and systems. I love this because a lot of people say it's a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, you have to put up numbers, but yeah, know some shit too. Scripts ensure that you effectively say what needs to be said in the most powerful way with the least amount of effort. Because it is a script or dialogue, you've practiced and internalized. You don't have to be a master of making things up as you go. You simply have to adapt what you know in any situation. Any situation, excuse me. So what I say with the scripts, oh, so I, we're not in a book right now. So what I say with scripts is memorize, then personalize. You can't personalize until you memorize. You got to memorize the script as is, where is, and then you make it yours based upon how you speak, the pace at which you speak, your particular personality. But everybody wants to be a fucking special snowflake and do, do it in the reverse order. Don't do it in the reverse order. Memorize then personalize. Because it is a script or dialogue you've practiced and internalized, you don't have to be a master of making things up as you go. You simply have to adapt what you know in any situation. Likewise, systems make sure that you are taking the right action at the right time with the least amount of effort. You got to highlight that. It's going to be a long review at the end, but I think it's going to be worth it here, right? Because this is important shit. Painting by numbers doesn't require much thought or skill, but the outcome can be predictable and surprisingly successful. Systems and checklists can channel your customer responses in the same way. Ultimately, the key to success is setting appointments and setting appointments boils down to two things, knowing what to say and then knowing what to do. You'll need to master your scripts and dialogues for the former and implement simple systems and checklists for the latter. The question is which comes first. Some approaches will lead with scripts and follow with systems. Others will lead with systems and then require scripts. All three steps in the conversion process will require both. 
Top agents follow a proven path that allows them to consistently apply the right scripts and systems to each step in the process of capturing, connecting, and closing their leads. And the end result is what they're after. More appointments. Capturing. You're in the sales business, and that means you only get paid when someone buys or sells something, right? This is a results-oriented business, folks. In the end, service and information are the two things you offer, market, and provide. At the same time, anything done for someone is done with the expectation that it leads to a sale or a listing sold. You must be clear on this point. Everything you might do for someone, while done with a true servant's heart, only gets rewarded financially when a sales occurs. When a sale occurs. To be successful in real estate sales, you and everyone who works with you must have this mindset. Mindset. In a shift where people believe tire kicking, time taking, and market testing are in their other enable rights, it is imperative. The hard fact is that buyers and sellers approach you because they are interested in real estate, not your personal welfare. They assume you're doing just fine and that it isn't their concern. They will always engage you in information first, service second, and transacting business last. Clearly, in order to earn the right to transact business, you must always focus on and do your best with the first two. Prospects have their own needs in mind, and that is how it should be. However, that means one very important thing to you. While providing what they need, you must also be vigilant in getting what you need. So they will engage you for information first, service second, second, and transaction last. There we go. The first goal. When you encounter someone by prospecting or marketing is to capture their name and contact information. Any information you give out is done with the mindset of service with a purpose. It's not that we walk around worried about getting paid or calculating our commissions. That's nonsense and I've never made a great real estate agent who ever felt that way. Your customers need needs and your own aren't mutually exclusive while servicing others. We also serve ourselves and serving ourselves We are, in fact, providing for and protecting the interests of those who are counting on us, our family, our close associates, and the causes we support. When I first got in the real estate business, I thought all the world needed was an honest, servant-hearted information providing. We'll do whatever it takes, no matter how long it takes. You want it, you got it, real estate agent. That's who I became, and it was the right thing to do. But that narrow way of thinking almost caused me to go broke. Along with my commitment to serve others, I soon realized that I required something too. I actually need to close transactions, and in order to do that, I had to first and foremost devote my time to those who would tell me who they were and how I can contact them. Ultimately, these were the only people I would talk to or provide information to, and I called them leads. One of the most hotly debated topics I ever encountered is the simple definition of a lead. It seems strange that some of the best And Bryce and our field can't reach agreements on how to find the very fuel of our economic engine, leads. Responses range from simply someone we meet who might someday do business with us to someone who needs to buy or sell in 90 days or less and everything in between. However, one thing is universally agreed upon. A lead is only a lead if you have captured a person's contact information. If you can't call them, email them, write them, or drop by their home or office and ultimately set an appointment, it's not a lead. It can't be. 
I believe that capture is all about attitude. If you think you have a right to ask, you will. I often hear, I don't want to seem pushy or intimidating. My answer is always the same. Then don't be. This type of fear is inappropriate because asking is just asking and has no emotional energy attached to it. How many people do that? Like they, So many people don't want to ask. Like When it comes to make the offer, generally people I have to call back to make – just make the offer. Oh, I haven't made the offer. Why didn't you make the offer? You, you went, you set the appointment, and you're afraid to ask? Just ask. Let them decide. My experience is that pushy people are pushy and it has nothing to do with what they're doing. So – if you are, you are, and if you're not, you're not. Asking someone for their name and number has nothing to do with that. You have every right to ask at any time you wish, and the name and contact information of anyone and everyone you come in contact with. That's great. Uh, that's a great attitude, isn't it? Everyone's a prospect. It is not your job to give out much free information as people want or do as much free work as they expect and then leave it to them to tell you when and if they will want to be contacted. You shouldn't fear running someone off by asking for information. If they won't tell you or won't give it to you, then that is what you need to know as early as possible. You're getting insight into whether or not they plan to work with you early in the game. You'll never hear the following in our industry. That real estate agent was so slick they sold us a home we didn't even want. Nor will you ever hear, that real estate agent was so pushy they talked us into selling our home. It just doesn't happen. I found that the best scripts are the most straightforward ones. In other words, just ask for what you want. Scripts like, thanks for calling. I'm Gary Keller. May I ask your name? Thanks. And what is your phone number? Works really well when asked together. When asked separately, a script like, if... I were to need to get in touch with you, what would that number be? Or if I found exactly what you're looking for, how would I contact you? Or if I find out that information you're wanting, how would I get it to you? Works well. Straightforward is usually the best approach and people just respond to it. As I always say, just ask it like they're going to tell it to you. I I ask very personal questions all the time. And I just ask it like you're going to tell me. Give you a good example. Do you have a mortgage or is it free and clear? The number of people who don't answer that question is very small. But I ask it just like that. You're going to answer it. That's how I asked it. If I tiptoe into it, hey, um, so uh, I know it's a personal question, but, you know, I'm curious. Uh, do you still have a mortgage or is it free and clear, right? Just, just ask the question. Back to the book. One of the reasons I never carry a business card is that I won't is that I won't lie. When someone asks me for my card, my reply as I smile, pull out my pen and poise to write is, "Thanks for asking. I'm sorry I don't have one with me, but what is your name and address and I'll get one to you." This is very straightforward and works every time. Remember, you're in the capture business. Hmm. I don't know about that. I'm going to think about that. Maybe I'll explain it more. The same attitude and approach works well when you are capturing through marketing. Whether it's an open house written on the guest log, the owner has asked us to let them know who has dropped by and how we might get your feedback. Thanks for signing in using an interactive voice response system. Call 1-800-THE-HOME for more details on this home, which automatically catches their phone number or internet registration forms. For a virtual tour, click here. For the lowest financial financing options, click here which then asks for their, guess what, contact information before letting them continue. 
Always remember that you must have a capturing system in place. If you don't, then you're just giving out information for free with little chance of getting compensated for it. Capturing a prospective buyer or seller's contact information allows you to be in the business of helping others with theirs. It also lets you become more proactive and own the next steps, connecting and closing. Be more proactive, sorry. Connecting. Once you've captured a names, uh, captured a name and number, it's time to connect. It's time to quickly lay a foundation for a working relationship. The fundamental theme of connecting is curiosity, to know who someone is, to understand their wants and needs, and to become aware of their worries and concerns. Right? So you got to figure out some information out about them. So you got to naturally be curious. Can't be afraid to ask questions. You are a consultant who genuinely wants to understand their situation and offer help if needed. Your goal is to generate trust and build confidence. First yours and then theirs. It is your chance to show them what it feels like to work with you. Their experience of talking with you at this point will have more to do with them hiring you than almost anything you can do or send them. Sorry, I'm having a hard time reading today. The way he words things sometimes really throws me off. During the connect step, things will feel like they're slowing down for just a moment, and that is good. The fundamental philosophy of connecting is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In other words, this isn't where you can tell and sell your way to success, but where you ask and listen your way into their head and heart. You got, you've gotten what you needed, a name and number, so now you move to connecting. When you connect with someone, you demonstrate that you care. The two tools you'll use are your mouth and ears, but not equally. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and this is when you use them accordingly. You will ask and then listen and listen. Then you'll ask again and listen and listen. I love this. You have to ask. And then you have to listen. Be sure to take notes. It guarantees you'll remember what they said, and if you happen to be with them, they'll see you care. And just when you think that you should talk, ask, and listen some more. You don't talk your way into a trust relationship with someone. You ask and listen your way. While they're talking, they're also making decision. While they're talking, they're also making a decision. Whether or not to go with you, go to the next step with you. Connecting is more than making small talk. Connecting is not, oh, you play golf. I play golf. Golf, 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 golf. Or you like dogs. I like dogs. Dogs, 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 dogs. It is an intuitive and natural approach that seeks the answer to six basic questions. It allows them to open up and reveal themselves to you. It follows a timeless formula you are surely familiar with. Who, what, why, when, where, and how. He calls these the six Connection questions. Make a note. You're not specifically looking for what they need right now. Wants and needs are very different. For now, you're going to ask what they want or need interchangeably as you feel like it. Later on, when you meet with them, you'll absolutely distinguish between what they want and need. While you want your questioning to sound conversational, please understand that while you are connecting, you're also qualifying. The questions are the same, but the style is different. In effect, while you're qualifying, they're connecting. So your six connecting questions might sound like this. Back up, and if you would, please tell me a little bit about yourself. 
That's number one. You're looking for as much personal information about them and their situation as they're willing to share. Marital status, kids, pets, jobs, these are the details that you'll later put in your database to reconnect with them in the future. So when I'm on the wholesale call, I ask a very broad question. Hey, this is Jeremy. I was reaching out to you. I saw you called in a few minutes ago about your house in Detroit. I'm just returning your call. Um, What can you tell me about your house? And I just shut up. I just see what they'll tell me. And you'll be surprised what people tell you. I ask a broad question, then I ask detailed questions. Then I'll ask a broad question, then I'll ask detailed questions. So if they don't sound particularly motivated, I'll move into, hey, have you thought about using a real estate agent? They can usually do better. We're the fast cash guys. If you want top dollar and you have time to wait, I go with them. Why not use an agent and have them sell me on why an agent's not a good job? Or you know what? That's a good idea. Maybe I will. Damn, time to get off the phone or turn it over until listing, right? If you're an agent like me. Number two, thanks for sharing that. Now, if you would, please tell me what you want to do. Or so you folks called about Bandera Drive. Are you looking for a new home? Or so you folks called to get the pricing information on Bandera Drive. Are you thinking of selling your home and looking for price comparisons? You're beginning to assess their uh, wants, needs, and current plans. Number three, thanks for sharing that. Now, if you would, can you share with me where you're thinking of moving or where is your current home located? Or do you have a home now that you might need to sell? Now you're trying to get an understanding of their current situation. Number four, thanks for sharing that. Now, if you would, can you please share with me why you're doing this, why you need to move, what this move will mean to you, trying to determine their motivation. And I'll ask this, why not Why not keep it? I said that you'll hear me say it all the time. You watch me on the podcast, you know? Hey, so by the way, I mean, why, why not keep it? I think everybody should get as much as they can. And why, why keep it? I don't think anybody should sell if they don't have to sell. And I'll have them turn around and tell me why they should sell. Or if they go, you know what? Maybe I will. Boom. I'm qualifying while figuring out more information about them. Thanks for sharing that. Now, if you would, can you please share with me when you'd like to do this? You're getting a feel for the timetable. And I'll ask this, um, so when are, you, when are you thinking about selling? How soon are you thinking about selling? ASAP. Now, what does that mean? 30 days or less, 60 days or less? Tomorrow if I could. Great. What are you going to do if you can't sell? Because everybody, some people want to appear like a motivated seller and then uh, the lady doth protest too much, right? It's a little bit of an act. Coat trails behind it. You get, you get the message I'm getting. So then I'll I'll turn around and just. What are you going to do if you can't sell? Oh, I just keep it. Oh, all right. Gives me an idea of their motivation or like, I don't, it's not an option. I have to sell or I'm going to lose it. Okay. I really got somebody motivated. Number six. Thanks for sharing that. Now, if you would, can you please share with me what your are, what you've already done the plan for this or how do you plan to do this? You're assessing what they have already done, their expectations and their experience. You may have noticed these scripts feel repetitive, and they are. The interesting thing about scripts is that they are observed one way and experience another. When you read them or role play them, they can feel stilted and overly repetitive. That's how it can feel to you. But when received, they can be they can feel warm, sincere, and natural. If you haven't memorized and you practice, right? like anything you need training right if you're going into combat you're going to train if you're trying to sell something or figuring these things out you need to train you need to practice 
You don't want to be practicing with leads that cost you money and all that time, right? Back to the book. Clearly, since we don't know what their answers will be, the simple script feels a little contrived. But we don't just write off. To them, it will feel courteous, organized, professional, and that is why it works. Actually, they're the questions you need the answers to in order to connect. Note the intentional repetition of the phrase, thanks for sharing. If you would, can you please share? These are key phrases you must memorize and constantly use. Another question I frequently ask is, would you be offended if I ask? This works well because it actually sounds to them like you, you've you asked if they'd literally be offended, which they won't be. But when they answer no, they're actually saying yes, giving you permission to proceed. This is why I call a negative positive, And it's one of the most powerful ways you can put a question to somebody. This is how you connect straightforward, without fear, full of questions with lots of listening. Once connected, you and they are ready for closure. Closing. Closing is where the rubber meets the road. It's where the prospect becomes a lead and your lead journey activities requires you to go getting an appointment. It's called closing someone. And although it's old sales language, you're better, you'd better dust it off and revisit it. An appointment is the real outcome you seek and it requires real scripts to get you there. The positive thing about the concept of closing is that it leads to decisions and outcomes. The word close means end in mind and that you're bringing something to conclusion. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're concluding this discussion and seeing if there's a new one that can take place. So it's time for closure. You've got a name and contact information. You've successfully connected with your prospect. There's only one thing left to do. Meet. Setting up the meeting is your responsibility. Some agents think that meetings happen naturally without doing anything. Other agents act as if it's all they care about. Both fall short. The right approach to close for a meeting is the only approach. Just ask. Ask to meet. Ask when to meet. Ask where to meet. Ask if you should, could, want, or must meet. Yes, 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 and yes. Just ask. Nothing is going to happen if you don't ask. If it does, it's pure luck, and there's no way, and that's no way to run a business. We would um, off script. That's what they call order taking, right? You're not a salesperson. If somebody just goes on and just you know, they just you're just taking an order. Obviously, take the order, but do the other shit too. Back to the book. Truthfully, if you've gotten their name and number and you've genuinely connected with them then asking to meet is a natural thing to do. In fact, they expect it and want it. People want to buy but hate to be sold. People want to make the right decision. They fear being talked into the wrong one. People want help but are hesitant to ask for it. So you often have to help them out. You have to ask for them. They want and need you to be in charge in a caring way. I still remember my... Very first listing point with a for sale by owner, Gene Volley Smith, a wonderful man. Gene owned a house a few doors down from where he lived and was selling it himself. I called on Gene, and during the connection stage, he out of nowhere just asked me, Gary, what would you charge me to handle this for me? I was flabbergasted, so I told him, took the listing, sold it one week, closed it about a month, and never had anyone just ask me that way again. For the rest of my career, I had to do the asking, and unless Gene is still out there buying or selling, so will you. To consistently close for an appointment, you have to know how to ask and how to respond. Don't be afraid to ask. Asking. You'll ask people for an appointment either by phone, in person, or in writing. Always remember that asking and writing will have the lowest conversion rate due to your lack of ability to respond to any issues they may have. But any and all these methods can be effective. 
Um, there's the thing, 10 classic closes that work. Number one, the hard close. Number two, the soft close. Number three, the direct close. Number four, the indirect close. Number five, the trial close. Number six, the assumptive close. Number seven, the negative positive close. Number eight, the take back close. Number nine, the tie down close. Number 10, the alternative choice close. I love all these closes. I call them some different things, but it doesn't matter. Many agents ask, why am I always being told to close, 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 close early and close often? There is a time-tested reason. While people talk in absolutes, they seldom think in absolutes. Most of the time, a no isn't an absolute no, and a yes isn't an absolute yes. This There is a continuum. People use words without being committed to them, and you don't really know where they are on the continuum. Every no can become a yes, and every yes can become a no. Closing is a process you use to find out where they are and to what they are committed. As a salesperson, you aren't attached to their decision. Your goal is to help them make one. I say that all the time. You can't make them say yes or no, but you can make them decide to say yes or no, and that is your job as a salesperson is to make them decide. You can't decide what they decide, right? Plus, you don't know what's best for them. Let them decide what's best for them. Back to the book. In this context, the yes or no we seek is about getting an appointment. While this concept is bigger than just asking for an appointment, it directly applies to it. So in asking, let's take a closer look at the different ways you can be a closer. Number one, the hard close. These are examples. Let's meet. Or sounds like we should meet. The soft close. I've really enjoyed visiting with you. Would you like to get together to discuss this further? Number three, the direct close. Can we meet today? Number four, the indirect close. Would it be okay if I got some information to look over and then we can meet to discuss? Number five, the trial close. Have we gone over enough today that a meeting uh, would be our next step? The assumptive close. It sounds like we should meet. I'm available most times this week, so what works best for you? The negative positive close. Would you be offended if I asked if we can meet to go over this? Number eight. The take back close. I really enjoyed visiting with you. To be honest, I'm not sure if I can help out or not, but I'd be honored if we can meet to find out. The tie down close. Wouldn't it make sense for us to meet in the next day or so? The alternative choice close. What works better for you? Meeting today, sometime this afternoon, or tomorrow. One of my favorite things to do in the world. So so what do you think? Is that something you're willing to consider? Yeah, I'm willing to consider. Great. Um, What time tomorrow between three and five works best for you? As you can see, there are many ways to ask someone for an appointment and they will all work if you'll just learn them and then use them. Responding. When you ask someone to meet, they will either say yes or give you a reason why they can't. This is the moment to remember that selling isn't verbal warfare. So don't get flustered, feel threatened or get indignant. Learn how to respond and let the conversation take its natural course. In the end, if they can meet and have a good enough reason to meet, they will meet. And if they don't, then they won't. And that's okay. You really don't care what their answer ultimately is because you're not getting people to do anything they want to do. They don't want to do. You're just going to ask and respond until they agree that meeting with you makes sense or it doesn't. Either way, you both win. When you ask someone to meet, you're starting a dialogue you can anticipate and practice. Here are some of the possible responses you'll hear if you ask enough people to meet with you. No thanks, not now, not yet, 
We'll need to think about it. We have an agent. We know an agent. We're not sure what we want to do. We're just looking. We're just investigating our options right now. We're not in a hurry. We don't need to do anything. We'll get back to you on that and on and on and on. Your job is to go through each of these. Write down their response, and then you write down your response options. And grab another agent, and the two of you role play using your answers. If you do this an hour a day for a week, I promise you that you'll begin to feel comfortable with asking people to meet. If you didn't practice this for the first 30 minutes of your lead generation time block each workday, guess what? You'll become so good at it, you can't wait to ask people to meet just so you can discuss it with them. I'll always be grateful for Tim Leggett. Tim was my role-playing partner for a few weeks when I was first learning how to ask for appointments. We'd go into a conference room every morning and start by one of us simply saying, can we meet? The other one would then respond, and the answer was never yes, and we'd be off and running. Within a few weeks of this, I was so comfortable with people's possible responses that we ended this partnership, and I threw myself into lead generating all the way. The same will happen to you. Cultivation. we got to wrap this up. How many more pages we got to go? All right, we're going to stop here. We're going to stop on page 103. Sorry, I'm not going to do cultivation. Yeah, we're going to stop on page 103. Right here at cultivation. We're going to come back to that next week. All right, let's do our review. Got your book out in front of you. Page 49. You can't sit back. You must be more rigorous and resolute in your lead generation than ever before and more so than anyone else. This applies now too, right? You can't sit back. Get over the idea that business comes to you. Go to business. Let whatever business comes to you come to you. Do that too, but go to business. Be active. Proactive. Frankly, This is true. This is the true competitive nature of our business. This is, frankly, this is when the true competitive nature of our business reveals itself and you realize it's time to stop trying to get your fair share of the market and do all you can to get your unfair share. Let people do what they want, man. You go get yours. To have sales, you must have leads. I discovered that time on task over time was the simple secret that helped me become very good. I wish I, I, I should get a tattoo of this. That That's how important this is, right? I know we're all impatient. I am so impatient sometimes it's fucking embarrassing. Um, and believe it or not, I'm far more patient than I used to be, which is going to seem pretty surprising to some people, right? But it's the things we do consistently over time, the 30 minutes of a day, not the 12 hours you did one day and then didn't do anything for 10 days. Um, there's also another quote where it's um, uh, skill and practice overcomes talent all the time, right? Same thing. All right, I don't want to beat it to death. You either get over your mess and get on with it, or you eventually succumb to your mess and have to get out of it. Do it or don't. Get the fuck out of the way. Number one, stop doing what doesn't work. This sounds stupid, but I persisted in this for years. It's okay if you're doing it. Just stop doing it <laughs> right now. All right. Number two, figure out what does work. You might have to record some stuff. 
Write some stuff down, track it. You might not know what doesn't work right now. Like me with my uh, dumbass marketing and I was getting spent five grand in marketing to make $3,000, right? You just might not know till, till you know, but take the time to figure it out now. Number three, once you know, ramp it up. You can only know this by associating your valid leads and your lead sources with your closed sales. That's where a CRM and tracking comes in, right? You have to know where your money's coming from. To have your best year plus a great career requires both. And this is um, short-term and long-term goals. So this is, I actually should highlight that part because it, out of context doesn't make any sense. You need short-term and long-term goals, right? Um, they will connect with you when your message connects with their why, when it speaks to their personal motivations, right? People are going to reach out when the message hits them at the appropriate time. And this is why you have to constantly market and constantly prospect because it's very difficult to know when that appropriate time is, which is why we have to stay in front of them, right? If we knew when the appropriate time was, we wouldn't constantly be following up with them. It is an offer to get something else from you now. Thus, it is called an indirect offer, which puts you into a relationship with them and opens the door to possibly doing business with you in the future. Just because they're not ready now doesn't mean they won't be ready in the future. Have some indirect way, um, a free book, podcast, a Facebook page where you share information, all kinds of things. So do that. Prospecting is where you go get the leads and marketing is where you do things to cause the leads to come to you. I recommend being aggressive. Your prospecting can be supported or enhanced by your marketing, and your marketing can be supported or enhanced by your prospecting. They actually go hand in hand, I think, especially if you're doing it consistently over time. Back to the original point, right? The answer should be simple and straightforward. The methods that will generate the most leads in the shortest amount of time for the least amount of your effort and money invested, which again requires tracking. Prospecting is about seeking opportunities. It's the act of personally calling and contacting targeted people you haven't met or people you have met. Marketing is the opposite of prospecting. Instead of seeking opportunities, marketing is about attracting them. It's the work of placing your messages where you believe motivated buyers and sellers are most likely to see or hear them. Those who aren't afraid to make a mistake just jump right in and easily accept the idea that they'll learn as they go. Others shudder at this thought and think about all the mistakes they could make. Both are wrong, by the way. Know which one you are so you can compensate. Experience says that an ongoing cycle of study and practice, take action, study and practice, take action is the best approach. I think this could be appropriately summed up as ready, fire, aim, rather than ready, aim, fire. And there's a book out there explaining that concept, and I want to go into it too much, but that's the idea. A true professional knows what they know, knows what they don't know, and knows the difference between the two. Stop pretending to know shit you don't know. So when I know, I'll just tell you, and when I don't, I'll go find the answer. This way, you can always have confidence that I'm getting you the best answers possible. Nobody knows everything. Stop pretending you do. 
Make no mistake about it. A shift requires you to do all you can with every lead generation method available. Having gone through this once and not having an idea on what to do, this can be a very painful time. Go all in on something like this, right? An inconsistent approach can get you leads, but it won't give you anywhere near the number of leads you need when the market shifts slowly over time. To do this, you must subscribe to one simple belief. Dealing with business never takes precedence over finding business. Never. You must adopt a position that until your lead generation is done every day, nothing else should get done. This may seem like a tough position for you to adopt, but adopt it you must. Otherwise, you will constantly find other things that seem more important or other things to convince you they're more important. This is also why you might be experiencing a cycle like I discussed before. If you find yourself getting a lot of leads, closing a lot of leads, and you stop prospecting, stop marketing, because you spend all your time closing them and getting them to the closing table, and you stop doing your prospecting and your marketing and all your calls, and then bam, you're back down to zero business. You got to do the whole thing over again. It's the things you have to do every day. It is the one true challenge all real estate agents face and the number one stumbling, stumbling block that knocks most out of the game. You got to do it slowly over time. It's like working out, right? If you are inconsistent in doing your lead generation activities, you will most likely need to be really concerned about surviving and you can absolutely forget about thriving. If you're not going to do it, just give up the idea you're going to do it. If they have others that work or report to them, then they actually block out a four slot each week to meet with these individuals and work with them on their goals, plans, actions, results, and that's it. And it's talking about um, time blocking an hour a week to plan your week. So I should highlight that part because out of context, it doesn't make sense, right? So if you have anybody working for you, make sure you time block some time with them to keep them on track too, right? You won't regret the time you put into taking action to generate leads. It is always time well invested. Kind of like working out. I said that before. Gee whiz, I wish I wouldn't take care of myself. Or like eating healthy. Gee whiz, I wish you know, I wish I wasn't eating healthy and I wish I wasn't going to live longer because of it. Your goal is consistent lead generation and the way to do it is seeing your job as lead generation first and servicing second. As important as lead generating activities are, if you can't get a name, number, and ultimately an appointment, what have you really accomplished? What is the point of the calls? How many people send out postcards and letters and never call back or can't call or can't close? Don't know how to prospect. Don't have a system to work through it. The ultimate success of your lead generating is directly dependent on your lead conversion ability. One can't work without the other. When it comes to lead generation, just realize that you're talking about two things, lead generating activities and lead converting to an appointment. The challenge is that lead conversion is a process that gets interpreted as an event that just sort of occurs on its own. Thus, it gets misunderstood and shortchanged. For most, it remains largely unexamined, often neglected, and seldom mastered. I have a closing process. I have a set of closing questions. I work through it the same, or I have a couple, actually I do, but it's the same thing every time. Like I'm figuring out what's going to work, what kind of person they are, where they're at, and then I work through it. 
And depending on how motivated they are, it depends on how long it takes. All right. Consistently getting every possible appointment from the leads you generate isn't complicated, but it requires preparation, practice, and purposeful action. This is important stuff. Practice it. But don't practice so long before doing it. Make sure you practice it for a little while. Do it. Get some results. Then practice again. In fact, many agents have discovered that outside of actually generating leads, personally handling converting leads to appointments is the most dollar productive thing they can do for their business. And this is right. It's that important. It's one of the services I offer to people. Um, I have a little call center and a lot of people don't like calling and setting appointments or don't have the time. I will call and set them for you or somebody on my team will. Getting to the table first or second is what matters, and this makes conversion more important than presentation. The competitive battle is almost single-handedly won simply by getting an appointment before someone else does. First counts for a lot. Just write down first counts for a lot. It just does. First at everything. First is good. It is way easier to be first. What was that movie? Oh, man, that one about the short, the crash, whatever. You could be smarter. You could be the smartest guy in the room, but it's a hell of a lot easier to be first. I think that's true. I am not the smartest guy in the room. I try really hard to be first, and with my schedule, that is a bitch. But fortunately, most people are slacking, so I could be first no matter what. Or I try to be anyway, not no matter what. Sometimes I'm second. But the point is, second, you're at an extreme disadvantage. The second call, the second appointment. Way easier to be first, man. Just do it. Speed the lead. Um, Conversion success comes to those who intentionally and repeatedly do three things with every lead. Capture, connect, and close. It's a process, right? This isn't a game of chance, but a game of scripts and systems. You simply have to adapt what you know to any situation. Likewise, systems make sure that you are taking the right action at the right time with the least amount of effort. It also lets you know what to do. And if you do it the same way every time, it sounds boring, but it's really not, right? I mean, if you were building a house, would you want to try a new way every time or would you do it the proven, tested way every time? Of course you'd do it the proven, tested way at times. Stop pretending you know better. I'm talking to myself too when I'm doing this, so don't, don't think like I'm talking to you. I'm that idiot, tough-hearted, slow learner sometimes, first couple of years especially, Thought I knew better than everybody else, right? Get a little older, realize you don't. So you're not alone if that's you. You're in the sales business. And that means you only get paid when someone buys or sells something. You eat what you kill, man, or you get skinny. Everything you might do for someone, while done with a true servant's heart, only gets rewarded financially when a sale occurs. To be successful in real estate sales, you and everyone who works with you must have this mindset. They will always engage you for information first, service second, and transacting business last. This is about your leads, right? However, that means one very important thing to you. While providing what they need, you must also be vigilant in getting what you need. So while you're going through this information first, service uh, second, and transacting business last, is ask qualifying questions, right? So you know who to spend time with and who not to. At that time, I'm not saying toss them aside, but some people are ready now and you want to spend as much time with the now people as possible and you want to nurture the other people till they're ready now, right? Not that hard. 
This type of fear is inappropriately is inappropriate because asking is just asking and has no emotional energy attached to it. You're not pushy. You're not being, some people are like, I don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to ask. You have to ask. There's lots of way to ask too. So I go, Hey, look, so let's say I gave them a range of 15 to 20 over the phone, but they didn't tell me that, um, uh, that needs plumbing. Right. So my number's off. So I go through the house. Well, look, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, when we're on the phone and I asked you about the plumbing, you said the plumbing is fine. But I see here that the drains need to be replaced because they're leaking and it's old galvanized. So I'm going to have to uh, update it. I know they're working for you, but as part of our process, we update the house. Um, so my number is going to be a little off. So considering it needs a roof, um, needs paint, and it needs plumbing, everything else is fine, needs plumbing. So I'm going to have to adjust my number from 13,000 to 11,800. Should I write it up? You got to ask. Should I write it up? Will you take that offer? Whatever you're asking, I like, should I write it up? It sounds a little bit more like, hey, should I write it up? Or I'll say, hey, I got some contracts in the car. Should I go get them? Yeah, go ahead and get it. All right. Asking someone for their name and number has nothing to do with that. You have every right to ask at any time you wish the name and contact information of anyone and everyone you come in contact with. Just do it. Thanks for asking. I'm sorry. I don't have one with me, but what is your name and address? And I'll get one to you. This is very straightforward and works every time. Remember, you're in the capture business. You need to get be, get a hold of them. The fundamental theme of connecting is curiosity. To know who someone is, to understand their wants and needs, and to become aware of their worries and concerns. At this point, you are investigating, not selling. You're also qualifying them, right? Seeing if you can help them or if, and where they're at in the process. If you can't help them, can you refer them to somebody? Can you monetize that in some way? Even if you can't, can you help them in some way and get a refer- referral in the future? Or is it somebody you can help, but they're not ready yet? Um, they're not motivated enough yet, right? So this, this is what you got to figure this shit out, man, right? Are there other decision makers? Is there somebody going to come in and screw it up? Is there something you don't know that's going to get the deal done? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and this is when you use them accordingly. You will ask and then listen and listen. Then you'll ask again and then listen and listen again. The six connecting questions. Number one, who are they? Number two, what do they want or need to do? Number three, where do they want or need to do it? Number four, why do they want or need to do it? Number five, when do they want or need to do it? Number six, how do they plan to do it? And that sounds really repetitive, and I don't exactly do it that way in that order, but it's pretty close. You need to know if what you're offering will actually solve their problem. And I don't know another way to do that other than asking them multiple ways what their problem is and just trying to suss it out, right? If it solves their problem, then you can be like, hey, why not? It solves your problem. You told me X, Y, and Z is a problem. Is there another problem I'm unaware of? You, you might need to flush out some objections, right? Not everybody's honest, and some people don't necessarily know what the problem is or they haven't thought it through. You can always say something like, you know, that's really great. That's – um." You know, I'm the same way sometimes, but this does solve your problem. This will get it closed in 30 days. What do you think makes more sense? You have somebody in front of you now ready to do it, or do you want to take the chance there's somebody else later? Let's just do this right now. Should I write it up? See, I can tie all that in together. 
That's how it can feel to you. But when received, they can feel warm, sincere, and natural. And this is in uh, talking about the script, right? So when you're practicing them, it sounds repetitive. And uh, maybe a little stilted, right? The point is, if you're doing it right to them, it doesn't, even though it might be to you. People want to make the right decision, and they fear being talked into the wrong one. First of all, don't try and talk anybody into any decision, right? A lot of people are like, wait, isn't that the, what overcoming objections are? No, you're pointing out alternatives and trying to convince them that this will work. And to make a decision, you can't make get them to make the decision you want, right? Um, in fact, if there's a better uh, decision for them, you should help them with that, I think. Or or at least don't pretend otherwise, right? Um, closing is a process you use to find out where they are and to what they are committed. As a salesperson, you aren't attached to their decision. Your goal is to just help them make one. Yet you, there's no force or Jedi trick, right? You can't make, it seems like it when you're going through sales process, right? You can't make someone decide to do something they don't want to do. I don't think, and that is not your goal. Your goal is to get them to make a decision though, right? And that is it. So we ended on page 103. We're going to start next week on 103 at cultivation, which is the very bottom of the page. Sorry, I wasn't reading as well this time. I will get better. It is hot in here today. I apologize for that. What do you guys think of this? I enjoy it. I think it's helping me and it's working for me. So if you haven't already, go rate and review on iTunes. Come on, man. Help a brother out. It's a free podcast. I'm at 48. Let's get this to 100. It's also it's only way on iTunes um, to really move up, right? That's really important. So uh, for everything else, please share this across social media. I really do appreciate it. For everybody who I don't see share, thank you. It really does bother me. I can't see it. I, you guys are doing good work, and I really do appreciate it. It matters to me. And even though I don't see it, I really do care. So thank you very much. And if you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renee Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Can I get enough of me? Want some more? Go check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat, although I have no fucking idea how to use it, at Jeremy A. Burgess. Or you go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. It's 2017, man. As I wrap this podcast up, I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. Start. I don't know. Maybe you fell off. That's fine. Maybe you lost everything. Good. I know distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits that may prevent you from starting or continuing with your goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you close to your goals, even if it's one step. And I want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. I know you can be investing your time somewhere else. So thank you. And um, I get a lot of emails, texts voicemails. Um, I do respond to all of them. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Until the next podcast, crush it.